evening. Appreciate that so very much. Psalm 119. Psalm 119 in our Bibles. I don't know about you, but uh, I've had times in my life where I had an entirely wrong perspective on something. Sometimes it's been in a conversation or something that Kelly and I are working through, and she's trying to help me understand something from her vantage point, and I'm just, I'm just not getting it. And you know how it is sometimes as a man, um, we just don't get certain things that our wives are trying to tell us. And sometimes uh, I think they expect us to read the fine print between um, or, the, or the nuances of what they're saying. But sometimes I think or a lot of times it's just we just don't get it. We're just kind of hard headed about certain things. And so sometimes we have the wrong perspective. We, we just cannot uh, seem to get uh, the right view of things. I know that sometimes it comes to like ball games. Uh, my dad and I would try to get down early to Pacers games from time to time. And if we got there early enough, we could go down to court level. And I remember, I mean, I was just a, a kid. Uh, I'm still short for my, uh, you know, I'm still, I'm, I guess I'm average. I'm five foot nine, nine and a half, something like that. And uh, I think both my boys, uh, both my older boys have, have, have passed me now, or at least my height. Uh, Josiah will probably eventually pass me. Uh, but I'm about, five, I'm about five nine. But you go down to uh, the, the Pacers, to the, uh, the court side, and you look at those NBA players, and they're giants. I mean, they're seven foot something, and they're, 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 they're big guys. And I remember as a kid just being completely overwhelmed with how big those guys are. And the ball can look like, you know, like a ping pong ball in our hands, and then that's what the basketball is in their hands. And then when they would kick us out of the court side, then we'd go to where us business class would sit. <laughs> And that would be usually up in the nosebleed seats. But my dad did get some tickets from his company that sometimes were pretty decent. But then you get up a little higher and you, you see down on the court and now they're only like that big, right? And you think you know, totally different. You see them from a totally different perspective. And we can have the wrong perspective on so many things. So how do we get the right perspective? We talk about biblical worldview and that's what we're going to deal with a little bit tonight. But having the right perspective on life, on issues, there are issues that are being forced down our throats, it seems, all the time with all of the information that is coming at us from every single direction. And we are in information overload sometimes. And now there's this chat GPT, this artificial intelligence, and it is unbelievable the amount of data that the artificial intelligence scans to produce whatever it is that we're asking it about or programming it to do for us. It's, it's, it's absolutely mind-boggling. Perspective is so important. We have to look at every issue, all of these different technological advances, all of these changes that are coming at warp speed in our culture, all of this information and this data, and with hundreds and thousands of web pages and commercials and data points, we must have the right perspective. And Psalm 119, as we have been looking at, is referred to as the Mount, Mount Everest of the Bible. One Bible scholar referred to it as 
the Mount Everest of the Bible, and I like that, and so I have used that uh, as the title of this series in Psalm 119, and we're now down in the third letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the third stanza of this great psalm. Each line of this stanza would begin with the Hebrew letter Gimel. So we're down to verse 17, and we read there, as we were reading in our scripture reading a few minutes ago, deal bountifully with thy servant, that I may live and keep thy word. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. We see, first of all tonight, that we need God to give us understanding of his word. For us to have the right perspective, we need to know what God is saying about the issues of life, about the journey of life, about all of these data points that are coming and this information that's coming. We have to begin with the right understanding of God's word. I'm not a scholar when it comes to the original languages. I'm not a scholar when it comes to uh, a lot of the details of the Hebrew language. But we see here in verse 17 this word bountifully. And we have to understand that this refers to the overflowing, the excesses that we ask God for in our lives. So in the New Testament, we might think of the verse exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. We have to understand that when we are asking for God to give us understanding according to his word, that this bounty, this overflowing, this excess, has to do with God giving us greater opportunities for obedience and service that we might have greater opportunity to testify to the faithfulness of God and his word in our lives. We think of bounty, we think of plenty, we think of excess and overflowing, oftentimes in terms of money, material possessions, fame and fortune. The psalmist is not asking in verse 17 for God to give him bounty in the areas of material wealth, prosperity, fame, and fortune. Now those may come. David would probably at some point as a king be considered a wealthy man. We don't know exactly when the psalmist wrote. We're assuming again that David is the human author that God chose to write these inspired words. But If it was David, yes, he would be a king. He would have wealth. He would have land. He would have servants. He would have the kingdom. So he would have influence, power, authority, strength. But the psalmist is writing, Deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live and do what? Keep thy word. So the rhyming in the Hebrew poetry, the rhyming is is deal bountifully with thy servant with that I may live and keep thy word. So the bounty that the psalmist is asking for is more opportunities for me, by your grace, to exercise 
the influence and the testimony of your word in my life. Now that's something that we don't often pray, do we? Because what does that usually involve? That usually involves humility and sacrifice and service and loving others and doing things that maybe God is taking us and stretching us and giving us opportunity to do and to serve in areas that we are often hesitant. And we struggle sometimes with what God wants us to do in his service as ambassadors for him in areas of obedience and in sacrifice. We often struggle with those, but we want bounty when it comes to material possessions, when it comes to wealth when it comes to net worth and nest eggs and retirement accounts. And it's, it's not wrong, again, that we desire to have proper insurance and retirement and the different material things that God provides. It's not wrong for us to desire those things, but those always have to be submitted ultimately to the will of God and to his work in our lives. But many times... And the temptation is in our culture to get ahead of the Lord and to get all of the world's perspectives on wealth and popularity and fame and fortune and begin to to desire that. And then after I get all the things that I can possibly earn with all of my work and all of my effort and all of my ingenuity and all of my creativity and all of my talent, then after I get all of that, then I will give to the Lord. Then I will sacrifice for God. Then I'll say, okay, now, Lord, now that you've made me wealthy, now I will serve you. Now, what is it you want me to do? And that's entirely the wrong perspective. Here we, hear, here we see the psalmist saying, Lord, let me live. Let me live that I may keep your word. The bounty that he is asking for at the beginning of the verse is greater opportunity for obedience and service for the Lord as the word of God is worked out in his life. Verse 18, in gaining this right perspective, he says, Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. He wants the right perspective of God. He wants the right perspective of God's word. He wants the wonders of God and his glory to impact his life so that he may be more faithful and obedient and have greater opportunities to serve the Lord and to exercise his talents, his gifts, and his abilities. And if God were to prosper him along the way, He would have already submitted those abilities and that wealth and whatever God had given him, he would have already submitted it to the Lord. Assuming this is David that God is using, where did David begin as a little shepherd boy? And he is taking care of sheep and he's got all these older brothers and they basically forgot about him. And here when it comes time to anoint a king, there is... Very little thought of David. And Jesse is asked, do you have another son? God hasn't chosen any of these. Oh, uh, yeah, I've got this. I mean, he's just a little runt of a guy. 
He's out in the fields taking care of sheep. I mean, come on. God wouldn't want to use a, a shepherd. Don't you know what shepherds are in this society? They're not looked well upon. They're the, the rough group. They're the backwoods, whatever you want to call them, people. But he, had a, he was a man after God's own heart. And man was looking on all the outside appearances, wasn't he? Man was looking at all the image and style and height and brawniness and tall, dark, and handsomeness. And again, if I can give a little warning to young ladies, don't get so caught up in the man's brawniness and his strength and his good looks and his tall, dark, and handsomeness. Okay? Those things are going to fade away. Look for a young man who's obedient to God's word. Look for a young man who loves God, who's humble. Look for a man who has a heart after the Lord. Look for a man who's going to sacrifice and serve you and be the right kind of leader in the home because his eyes are fixed on the Lord. And here is David who probably, again, as best we know and more than likely was the one who God used to pen this psalm, he realized that his greatness was going to only come as he saw the greatness of God in the word. And his greatness was going to be measured by God's standard and not by the world's standard. May we pray in our devotions, when it comes to church, when it comes to Bible study, may we pray for God to open our eyes to the wonders of his word, that our worship might go deeper, that our doctrine might be stronger in the faith, in the word of God. And as our understanding of his word grows and grows and goes deeper in our knowledge of God and our personal relationship with him is growing and maturing, then we are gaining a greater and a better understanding of the world and what God has for us and what God wants us to do and how God wants us to serve him in this world. Again, a little kid often has the wrong perspective. A little kid, you get your child out as they begin to walk, and you get into a busy parking lot, and what do you do with your child? You grab their hand, or you pick them up, and you make sure that they are watching, because cars, you know how it is in a parking lot, they dart in and out, and they back up, and they don't necessarily see the little kid walking behind You've got them by the hand. You're keeping close eye on them. As they get older, hopefully they're more mature. They're growing in their understanding. They're looking both ways before they cross the street. They're looking around as they walk through a parking lot. And then eventually they get behind the wheel of a car. And we're hoping, right, by the time they get behind the wheel of a car, they have a right perspective on the rules of the road. And they're looking around. They're looking ahead. And they're being defensive drivers. What does that come from? It comes from a right understanding of the nature of that vehicle, the fragility of life, of the stupidity of the people driving around them, right? In understanding those and having the right perspective makes someone a better driver. Not the best example, but again, our growth in our understanding of God through his word 
As our knowledge of God, as our relationship with Jesus Christ matures and develops, we will have a better, a more right perspective for what is going to confront us in life. So that brings us to the second point of tonight's message. The Word of God then gives us the right perspective. So this perspective comes from the Word of God. We see life, we see this world through the lens or the lenses of God's Word. And that means that we understand our place in this world. This is a picture from Pilgrim's Progress. And that is one artist's rendition of Christian on that pilgrim's journey. We looked this morning in our Sunday school hour, in our adult Bible study class, at 1 Corinthians 2 and verse number 14, where the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are spiritually discerned. We need the Spirit of God for spiritual discernment, for making good decisions, for understanding, for good judgments. So, we see here in verse number 19, the psalmist says, I am a stranger in the earth. Hide not thy commandments from me. The stranger is referring to a pilgrim, a sojourner, somebody who is passing through. And there are times where we are in our travels, do we end up in a place, a city, a town, where we don't know our way around. I mean, we're thankful for GPS, and back in the days when you had to get the, the accordion maps out, you would get those out, and you would try to find where you were at, and you're unfolding. And then I hated to ask for directions. To this day, I don't like to ask for directions. And I know that's probably not a good sign. But um, I used to, I remember, I think it was over in Tipton, Indiana. I was trying to get to a, a pastor's meeting years ago, and I made a wrong turn, and I pulled out my handy little paper map, and I fold, unfolded it out there on the steering wheel and figured out where US 31 was, and I eventually made my way to, but I wasn't going to go in the gas station and ask <laughs> where I was. I know that's wrong of me, but I was a stranger. I was a pilgrim. I did not know where I was at there in Tipton County or wherever it was that I ended up in that little town up there. I've been there on many occasions, and you've probably been there as well. And we have in this world, as citizens of heaven, as citizens of God's kingdom, we have to have some otherworldliness to our attitude, to our perspective, because we are not of this world. We are called to an eternal kingdom. Now, we live right now in this world, and we know that, the, that Satan is the god of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. We know that God is sovereign, that he is ultimately in control. We know who is the final victor through our Lord Jesus Christ. But there are journeys in this life where we have to remember as we go through life that we are pilgrims, we are sojourners. We are strangers. We don't talk the way the world does. We have a different attitude. We have a different perspective. We think differently. We look at things from a spiritual and an eternal perspective. So our decisions, our judgments, our values, and our standards are different. 
But again, what does Romans 12 tell us? Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable or expected service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We make cookies at Christmas. You may have at one time made jello or made some sort of little frozen treat, and you had those molds, and you would cut out those cookies, you would cut out that jello or whatever that uh, whatever it is that you are making, and you had those molds, and too often we have a lot of Christians that are molded by the world's molds. We look like a worldly this and a worldly this and a worldly this, and the world is just stamping out cookie cutter Christians who are molded after and shaped after, they are conformed to the world because they have forgotten that they are strangers, they are pilgrims, they are sojourners. They are not to be conformed to this world, but they are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And how do we renew our minds? How do we get the right perspective? By the word of God. I am a stranger in the earth. Hide not thy commandments from me. What's the rhyme? I'm a stranger in the earth, hide not thy commandments from me. So how do I, as the psalmist writes, how do I remain in this stranger pilgrim mentality? By having your commandments always before me. I want the road signs of my life to be the word of God. Every warning, every curve, Whatever it is, I want the road map, I want the signs of my life to be the word of God. There was just another, I don't know what construction project they call it down in India. I was just thankful that we could drive all the way through downtown India on 65 South for the first time in what seemed like years. But there was recently another drunk who went off the road and crashed through a whole bunch of signs and damaged some part of the construction project. It was in the news not that long ago. And that person was drunk on, yes, alcohol, whatever kind of drugs, usually nowadays with this drug epidemic, they're finding multitudes of drugs compounded by alcohol. And it's a lethal dose that's coursing through people's veins. No wonder people are doing all kinds of just crazy things. And this guy was behind the wheel of a car. What was the controlling influence of his life? Alcohol, whatever drug was in his system. And let me just say, as Christians, if we're not careful, we will be trying to navigate through this life drunk on the world's empty pleasures and worthless, sinful values. And we will crash And we will harm our testimony and will be ineffective for God's service. The psalmist is saying, as a pilgrim, as a sojourner, as a stranger, I want the roadmap, I want the markings, the standards, the signs of my life to be the word of God at all time. So that I know my place in this world and where I'm going so that I might fulfill God's perfect will. Verse 20, my soul breaketh for the longing that it hath unto thy judgments. 
at all times. Listen to this passion, this desire. We sang tonight a passion for thee. This is going to come up as a reoccurring theme throughout this song. We are passionate about a lot of things. We have a lot of zeal for a lot of things. And shame on me if I can sit in 85 degree heat with 60% humidity for three hours watching a baseball game and I can't sit in a comfortable air-conditioned auditorium on a comfortable pew for one hour to listen to the Word of God. Or I can't sit in my dining room chair and sit down with my Bible and my devotions for 30 minutes or an hour or however much time the Lord leads or gives me. Shame on me. If I have that little desire and zeal, I see people who will spend... And I've done it. I've been to an amusement park. And I've stood out there for hours waiting to ride the beast at King's Island. Baked in the sun like a piece of grilled chicken. And I was miserable, but I got two and a half minutes of riding that roller coaster. And I was thrilled. And I paid for it. Now, back then, I could get up the next morning and go, go to work or do whatever. Now, it would take me three days to recover from <laughs> one ride on the beast. But we have all kinds of time and energy and endurance and passion for all kinds of things. And God asks one day of the week, just a few hours to spend time in worship and together with. And I know there are times that there's providential hindrances. And I know that there are times I'm not talking about those times where we have to miss for this or that. But there are people who have a whole pattern of unfaithfulness. I just listened to a preacher I was reading on. Uh, his social media, he made a great statement about how parents will raise their children doing all of the activities of life, from sports to arts and entertainment and whatever. They'll spend all of their years, 18 years it seems like, a running hither and yon and to and fro, doing all this and doing all that, Rarely ever darkening the door of a church, rarely ever sending them under the preaching and teaching of God's word. And then they are crying tears when their kids are 18, 19, 20, 21. They want nothing to do with the Lord. Now, I know that's not always the parent. I realize the child still has to make their own individual decision. They are personally responsible. And there are times where even kids who are raised in church who still turn their backs and they run the other way. But I'm saying we need, to, we need to fertilize the soil. We need to put the soil down where the good seed of the gospel can grow and values can be developed and grown in the soil of God's word and in church and where the word of God is first and where the word of God is taught in the home and coming and going and throughout life where our children know that God is first, where God is central so that they will desire God's judgments and live for the Lord even into their adult years as they take ownership of the, the truth of the word of God and you know, why they believe what they believe. And I was encouraged by this preacher because he, he spoke the truth that it's no wonder sometimes our kids want nothing to do with God because mom and dad wanted nothing to do with God for 18 years. How do they expect the switch to just get turned on and all of a sudden now want to go to church and read the Bible and serve the Lord when they haven't even been 
taught that or been shown an example of that for 18 years of their life. Just a burden that's on my heart and uh, a challenge for, for each of us. And I've got a long ways to go as a parent, and I have by no means arrived. And uh, I'm thankful for what God is doing in our children's lives, but we all have a long ways to go, and all of our kids have a long ways to go. But we're thankful, and there is no greater joy than seeing our children walk in truth. And that's God's desire for us as his children. Verse 21, recognize that God rebukes the proud and disobedient. Verse 21, thou hast rebuked the proud that are cursed, which do err from thy commandments. Some of the hardest perspective to get sometimes is when the proud and the disobedient seem to be getting away with their sin. They seem to have all the money. They seem to have the power. They seem to have the fame and the fortune. And then when a preacher comes along and produces a book, your best life now? No. Your best life ain't now, unless you're an unbeliever. If you're an unbeliever and you die without Christ, your best life is right now. This is your only life. That's a sobering thought. But for us as believers, our best life isn't right now. Now, this life matters for all eternity. We're laying up treasures in heaven. We will be judged according to our works. But the unsaved, it seems at times that they are just getting away with all of their sin. No, they're not. There is a judgment day coming. Now, we should be praying for them to repent. We should be seeking uh, to see them one to Christ. And it's hard sometimes to pray for some of these politicians. It's hard for us to even see their face on the news or on the website. But we have to pray for them. We have to desire that they be reached with the gospel. But ultimately, they are not going to get away with their sin. The right perspective is God will deal with them. Psalm 2, God will laugh. He will have them in derision. How often do we have to come back to Psalms like Psalm 2 or Psalm 73 and once again see the right perspective that I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. And the psalmist is recognizing that God will rebuke the proud and the disobedient. And when God deals with them, God will deal with them in his righteous wrath and judgment, in his holiness. And I know that it's always God is love, and God is love. But his love flows out of his holiness. And God's love and God's holiness and God's wrath and God's justice are all together part of God's very character and nature. We can't separate them into little pieces. Well, sometimes God is love. You know, God's, God, God is, as, as some pre- preachers try to say, God is wrath and judgment in the Old Testament. But then in the New Testament, then he's God of, then he's love. No, he's the same God all the way through Genesis to Revelation, the same yesterday, today, and forever. God hasn't changed. And God is holy in his justice, and he's holy in his wrath, and he's holy in uh, his, his judgment. And it's hard for us sometimes to have that perspective when we see such wickedness and evil. And I don't know how much longer God is going to be long-suffering. When the politicians, the people in power, in leadership, 
are celebrating, endorsing, and encouraging sin of all kinds of perversion. It's hard for us to even have a a, a right mind sometimes about it because we get so angry. How can they continue? How can they bring these kinds of perverts and celebrate this kind of perversion sometimes on the very White House lawn? And then write those policies into law and say the very things that I'm preaching tonight are words of violence and genocide. Truth has fallen in the streets. Right is being called wrong. Up is being called down. I mean, on and on we could go. But God still is on his throne. And right is still right and wrong is still wrong. Sin is still sin. And the proud and the disobedient, God will deal with. And the psalmist reminds us of that, the, that God will rebuke the proud and the cursed because they err, they err, or err, they wander, they turn aside from God's commandments. So the word of God gives us the right perspective. And then finally tonight, we see the word of God once again is our provision. The word of God is our provision. We see verse 22, remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept thy testimonies. We talked about this a lot last week, about the word of God being our defense. There is reproach, there is contempt. Reproach and contempt speak of disgrace and shame. That comes from sin, disobedience, acts of transgression of God's law. The psalmist does not want that kind of disgrace, does not want that kind of shame on his life. He understands that sin brings reproach, brings contempt. So we see at the end of verse 22 on the second half, for I have kept thy testimonies. How is shame and disgrace, reproach, contempt, how is it removed? How is it prevented? How is it avoided? By keeping God's testimonies. There we see again the word of God is our defense. We see the word of God again is our delight. Princes also did sit and speak against me, but thy servant did meditate in thy statutes. We spent time last week talking about meditation, ruminating on the truths of God's word, on who God is. If we can worry, we can meditate. And meditate has the, the idea of speaking to oneself. And we talked about people who talk to themselves, okay? And I won't rehearse all of that. But the idea of talking to ourselves the truth, speaking to ourselves the truth of the Word of God. I'm not talking about some sort of word-faith movement. I'm not talking about speaking my destiny into existence by the power of my words and the power of my positive thinking. I'm not talking about that. It's taking the truth of God's word and reminding ourselves, ruminating. Again, to use the chewing of the cud illustration that some of these animals, like the cow, will spit up and regurgitate and then chew it up again. And having that kind of meditative heart about the word of God. But notice what he says, princes also did sit and speak against me. Criticism. Life is going to bring some measure of criticism when we desire to live for the Lord. It's just going to happen. 
I remember the conversation with my dad as I griped and complained about someone at school and the kids at school. And, and I remember my dad, and my mom especially, but my mom and dad would, and I remember my dad making the statement, you can't please all the people all the time. And he would go on with this statement, and I'm not sure I'm going to get it right. You can please some of the people all the time. You can please all the people some of the time, but you can never please all the people all the time. My dad would remind me of that regularly. And my mom and dad would remind me of how I have to keep going back to the word of God. Now, what, what does criticism do? Here the psalmist is talking about princes, those in authority. There's some criticism of the psalmist. If this is David, did he not receive some criticism from those in authority, some wrong leaders, some wrong people? Even Saul, who was supposed to be God's king, doing God's work, and he had even turned on David. Saul rejected the Lord and lived in what what I would consider a very backslidden state. Um, Some would say Saul was never saved at all. I would say if, if Saul was saved, which I think he was, he was in a very backslidden state to the point that he is now even attacking God's chosen person, God's chosen man to be his replacement on the throne. If that's who he's referring to, I don't know. But criticism's going to come. And we have to learn how to accept criticism. And I've had to learn it very quickly in the ministry as I dealt with criticism early on in my ministry. And Pastor Defoe would come and help me and I would have to remember what my mom and dad said. I'd have to go to the Word of God and have to come back to my call and what God had called me to. And if he has called me, faithful is he who calleth you, who also will do it. Am I going to quit on the ministry because somebody said something about me that I didn't think was true or that I didn't like? Am I going to go find a safe room and get myself a stuffed animal and hug it like they do in college campuses now and they have these safe rooms and they have to give them stuffed animals and buy them free food? Because a professor said something that was true and it made national headlines and now all the lawyers at Georgetown University have to find safe rooms? I mean, what in the world? The pre-law students. It, it, it's just incredible. We've got to learn how to handle criticism. And we handle it with the Lord's help by going to his word, by going to our, to our security in Christ. And criticism can be wrong. We have to sometimes take the 5% that's true and accept it and learn from it and throw out the 95% that's wrong. But criticism can check our hearts. It can cause us to look at ourselves. It can fine-tune us. It can cause us, ultimately, to depend upon the Lord. And that's where the psalmist is taking us. My, excuse me, thy servant did meditate in thy statutes. Where did he find His source for help and strength when he was being criticized, even by people in authority, where did he go? By meditating on the statutes of the Word of God, the principles of the Word of God. That's where he found his delight. And then his counsel, verse 24, Thy testimonies also are my my delight and my counselors. Biblical counseling is the application of God's Word by God's Spirit to the heart of the believer. And here we see the psalmist writing, Thy testimonies are my delight and my counselors. So we're thankful for mentors. We're thankful for counselors. We're thankful for people who speak to our lives the truth. But isn't that ultimately what they are doing? They're helping us take the truth of God's word and helping us apply it. Helping us think through things from the right perspective. And many times as counselors, whether it be a 
counselor as a parent or as a grandparent or helping someone, discipling somebody, or helping somebody through a hard time, many times aren't we just taking the truth of God's word and helping that person apply it in their situation? And that's what the psalmist is saying. My delight is in your word, and your word is my counselor. Help me to apply your testimonies, your truth, to my life, that I might live obediently, that I might receive your provision for living a faithful and obedient life to fulfill your will. So we've seen tonight in this great stanza from this great psalm that we need the word of God to give us understanding so that we might have the right perspective and in doing so find that the word of God is our provision, our defense, our delight, and our counsel. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this stanza in this great psalm that helps us in so many ways. Lord, may we go out and live these truths. Lord, help us to have the right perspective on life, the right perspective on our jobs, the right perspective on a disciplined situation or home or whatever the situation may be. Help us to bring the right perspective by bringing the word of God to this situation, that we might see the situation through the Word of God, through biblical lenses, and apply your truths, that your truth might be our counselor, be our guide, and be our delight, and be our defense. Lord, we thank you for our time together tonight. pray you bless us as we go out our, about our week. Help us to serve you faithfully. In Jesus' name we pray.